morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'll be your host every Wednesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Now, remember last week how I opened up asking for all our listeners here to put in maybe a little extra prayer for my football team? They played Saturday night, and they inevitably lost. But hey, you know, they did actually put up a pretty good fight. I remember I was talking to, obviously, friends about it, and actually speaking to Nachum about it, and we were talking about the spread was 16 or 17 points, depending on if you bet on it, when you bet on it, and uh, obviously in the Patriots' favor. And I said, listen, there's, I just I can't take Houston with the points. I, like, I would take New England with the points, because Houston's a bad football team. New England's a very good football team. Like, it's just going to be shown. It's on national TV. And New England, Houston, historically doesn't play well there. And uh, while the final score ended up being, you know, New England came out on top with the points, so that would have been the right bet on my end. Uh, Houston actually played very well. And I was, as I was telling, you know, people, the only way Houston makes it close is if they have a heck of a game. Offensively, somehow they're clicking. Defensively, they're a beast. And then New England has a poor game. And, and, Two of those three three things happened. Houston's defense really stepped up big time, even though New England did end up putting 30-plus points, though special teams and whatever. Um, and New England was, was pretty much off for the most part. Brady threw a few picks. Again, credit to Houston, but they had a chance. I mean, Houston was down four at the half, I think eight going into the fourth quarter. Brock Osweiler probably threw his best throw of the year to Fuller in the end zone, but it was dropped. So they had their opportunities, Houston, but they just couldn't come away. And even though Houston played very well and New England didn't play so well, New England still won by, uh, what was it, 17, 18, 19? I don't, I don't even know, remember the final score, but final score didn't look so pretty. But still, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the way they showed up and didn't let down. So, uh, yeah, that was that. I mean... Fun football season, and it all comes to an end just like that. But here we are in Bite Size. We have this thing isn't coming to an end. We have two hours here with me. Um, we have two interviews for you this week. One by Tova Knecht. She interviewed Marcella van de Bovenkamp. I hope I pronounced that correctly. That's a very interesting and incredible story. So that'll come up at about 9.20 a.m. Eastern or so. And then I'll have an interview with Josh Zide, a former Houston Astros pitcher, now currently pitching, I guess, for Team Israel. Uh, as you know, they went to Israel, or if you haven't heard, they went to Israel on a trip for about a week or two. And uh, so we're going to hear about that trip, about his career, about playing with Team Israel. He actually played both last year and this year, last time, excuse me, so that was 2012, I believe, into 2013, and then or for the 2013 qualifier, and then he played this past September in Brooklyn. So you don't want to miss that. That'll come up at about... I'm going to say 10 a.m. Eastern time. So we have plenty here for you on Bite Size. Going to kick it over to music. Miami Boys Choir, Kihem Chayinu. You're tuned into Bite Size right here on the Nachum Single Network.
so holy, so pure, so holy, so pure, so holy. Lucky is the mom that had ya. Lucky is the dad that raised ya. Lucky is the school that schooled ya. So holy, so pure, so holy. Evil knocked and the lights went out. The whole world cried when they heard you shout like never before, like never before. All the angels and the dreaming men rushed to the scene just to hold your hand, see what's going on. What's going on? Yiddish mama, don't you cry? Yiddish mama in the sky. Yiddish mama lullaby. Yiddish mama of Mumbai. Yiddish mama, we live for you. Yiddish mama, do what you do. Yiddish mama, it's coming true. Yiddish mama, we'll see it through. So holy. Lucky are the songs that sing ya. Lucky are the souls that greet ya. So holy, so pure, so holy. Midnight came and our hearts fell out. The whole world cried when they heard you shout. But you were never alone. You were never alone. God was watching and He said right then, You'll be back soon. You're back again like you never before. Like never before. Yiddish mama in the sky. Yiddish mama, don't you cry. Yiddish mama, a lullaby. Yiddish mama of Mumbai. Yiddish mama, we live for you. Yiddish mama, do what you do. Yiddish mama, it's coming true. Yiddish mama, we'll see it through. So holy. Ve 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 ha isa, ach sa me hea Ve 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 sa ma ta, me 
Some machto, some machto, be cholatoy. 
off of Yummy Lowy's Kol Hatov album. You're tuned into Bite Size here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and we are joined now by Tova Kanech. Tova did an interview with Marcella Van de Bovenkamp. I hope I pronounced that semi-close. I guess we'll uh, find out shortly. But Tova interviewed Marcella. It's a very interesting and intriguing story that Marcella has, and uh, I'll pretty much let Tova, get to it here. So here's Tova with Marcella. Your tunes into Bite Size right here on the Nachum Seal Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting in Yerushalayim on the Tayelet with Marcella van de Bovenkamp. I was actually lucky enough to meet Marcella in Gush Etzion. I was finishing up another interview, and I went to go visit the Pina Chama. It's a place where soldiers go to uh, warm up, they get a nice warm cup of coffee, nice Danish, made especially for them by volunteers, and Marcella was volunteering, and I started talking to her, and she told me all about her story. So Marcella, we're going to talk about that. Welcome to the show. Thank you. 
Um, so you are here on a visa, a long-term visa, yes. from the Netherlands. Correct. Unbelievable. Can you give us background about why you're here, why you're in Israel? Why am I in Israel? It's a long story, but I'll try to make it a little bit shorter for this interview. I came here five years ago for the first time, um, really feeling that the God of Israel, whom I believe in as well, had called me to come here and... Um, stand with the people of Israel, stand with the nation of Israel to be a comfort to the Jewish people but also to be a voice to the nations from Israel, specifically to the Christians. Um, not knowing that my background story... who Yes, oh, tell us about your background that, story. Yeah, my background... Unbelievable. My background story is that my family during um, the Holocaust in Holland, um, for whatever reason, managed to um, rescue and um, provide with a hiding place a Jewish medical student um, that was already living with them before the war. What was his name? Can his name is Herbert Muller, was Herbert yes. Muller, and um, my great-grandparents had like a boarding house in Holland where students were um, living and having a place to sleep and a place to eat while they were going to university. and. Um, before the war broke out, he was already living there, and once the war started, they realized that his life was going to be in danger. In danger. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. So they decided that it was their Christian duty, so to say, to uh, preserve his life and to do whatever they could with the means that they had to provide him with a hiding place and get him safely through the war, and they managed to do so for five years. That's Incredible. So growing up in the Netherlands, did you know about this story? Was it discussed with you? Um, I think it was always kind of there. My grandparents had told me about it, um, but it wasn't really something that spoke to me so much when I was younger because I didn't, I don't think I realized the implications and the importance of what my family had done only until, um, only until I came to Israel, I think even, yeah to understand what an, what an impact it made on his life um, and his children after him and of course his grandchildren now that he has so um, wow. they didn't preserve just his life but generations after him as well. Unbelievable, they saved a whole lifeline of, of a Jewish family. Yeah. Have yeah. you met his, any of his relatives? I have, uh, when we had the uh, ceremony. At Yad Vashem? Um, no, the ceremony was actually at the Israeli embassy in The uh -huh. Hague in Holland two oh, years wow. ago, three years ago now. Okay. Um, that's where my family was officially awarded the um, title Righteous Among the Nations. And uh, I was the one... Um, you received that. I received it on behalf of my family. And um, the children of the survivor were there. His grandchildren were there. He unfortunately has already passed away. Uh -huh. But... Uh, for me, the highlight of the day was really meeting his children and grandchildren and seeing... And what, what your grandparents accomplished. Yes, exactly. Unbelievable. What yeah. a story. So yeah. Probably so many emotions were... Uh, it does. Sorry. It does bring up a lot of emotions. And especially being here in Israel and realizing um, um, what it is that the people of Israel have gone through and knowing that my family was able to preserve one life. I mean, it's... Sometimes I feel, couldn't they have done more? But already one life one is... One life in the whole world. Exactly, exactly. For sure. Exactly. Definitely. And did you ever, after you accepted this award, you know, it sounds, it's so positive, but I'm sure you get encounters with maybe people that aren't as accepting of... Yeah, I, I mean... Do you have any bad encounters? 
encounters? I haven't had really bad encounters with regard to my family story, but I've had bad encounters with the fact that I am supporting Israel in the face of everything um, that they have gone through and that they're going through, and just to stand as a voice on behalf of Israel to the nations and trying to defend, so to say, to, to stand with them in the face of criticism. Uh -huh. um, that for sure has caused me um, to lose friends, um, oh, wow. to have people, um, yeah, it's, just it's so being very negative towards me. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't stop me from no, doing what I'm doing. Because <laughs> you know the truth. You're on the, you're exactly. on the tr truthful side. So yes. hopefully one day everybody will uh, see what you see. Um, so when you go, you go on speaking tours, you mentioned. Yes, I do. So what, what do you speak about when you're on these speaking tours? Um, I speak about different subjects. Um, I speak about my life here in Israel. I speak about my family's background. I yeah. try to um, teach about the importance of, especially towards Christians, because that's my right. audience, um, to teach about the importance of Israel and the Jewish nation, what the Bible tells us about the promises to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, to the promises with regard to the land, um, how Christians, after 2,000 years of, of prosecution, after 2,000 years of, of being so negative towards the Jewish people, there are those that want to stand up now and be supportive of Israel and stand with them in everything that they're going through. So I'm giving them the tools of what is the Bible saying, how can I pray for Israel. Um, I teach them also about church history and the Holocaust, which kind of goes right. hand in hand, so right. to say. It's incredible to hear your story because I hear the side of the story from the survivor, mm. from survivors. My husband's grandparents are both survivors. Oh, wow. And you don't often hear about the stories from the righteous among the nations, you know, the True. righteous Gentiles. True. And it's just so inspirational to know that in face of all the anti-Semitism, in face of the BDS, there's yes. so many, there are people that really, yeah, that really are supportive of Israel. Yeah, and, and I, and I true, I truly hope that um, despite everything that we as Jews and Christians have been through, and I mean, the two of us are sitting here now in Jerusalem, which is it's, already amazing. It's just an and view and, and viewing the city of Jerusalem and and looking at the old city, and I mean, we both read the Bible. I might read it with some extra portion, so to say, on uh -huh. top of it. But we both believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we both believe that this is the city where the temple will be rebuilt. So yeah, for us to be sitting here together and, and looking at Jerusalem and knowing the past that we have as Christians and Jews, but I do believe we are now in a time where it's important for us to stand together also. And um, I know it's hard because of the history that we've been through, and I know that there needs to be repentance and reconciliation from the sides of the Christians. But I do believe, because we both believe in the God of Israel, and we both believe that this land belongs to you. He has given it to the Jewish people. And for us as Christians, there's a time to stand up and to speak up to our governments, to our nations, to, to the UN, to the EU, with everything that we are facing today. I mean, we both know about the Paris Peace Conference. today it's happening. It's taking place today, which is just crazy for the world to think that they can decide on the land and how it has to be divided. It's terrible. Yeah, so we as Christians, and I encourage those that I speak to when I travel to America, when I travel to Holland and other places, to stand up. Up and to speak out and not to be silent anymore because that's what happened during the war as well and and 
fortunately, my family decided to speak up and to do something, but uh, the majority so many didn't. Right? No, the majority of the Christians were silent, and and I cannot rely on what my family did in the past. I need to make my own decision now, today, in the time that we are living in, for future and to do what I can do right. for future generations. Exactly. But I do take as an example what my family did, and I believe it's something that. Um, it's a great heritage to have, uh, but it also gives me, um, I, it, it, I carry a burden with me knowing that that is what my family did and that I should do something today. Right, you have big shoes to fill. And, I do. Uh, you're doing a great job so Thank far. You. So you should uh, Thank continue. You. And you specifically wanted to meet me here yeah. at the Tayelet. Yeah. Um, last week, we all know, unfortunately, about the horrific terrorist attack that happened Yeah, with the terrorists that drove the truck into soldiers and unfortunately killed four of, four them. of our very brave yeah. and holy soldiers. Um, so why did you specifically want to meet me here? Well, one of the reasons is this, what you are sharing now, the fact that we had a terrorist attack taking place here just a week ago um, last Sunday. And I live just five minutes away from here, so I heard the sirens and I knew that something was wrong right away, but also we're looking here at the holy city of Jerusalem. We're looking here at the old city. We can see the place where the temple is going to be rebuilt. And this, this is what it all is all about. I mean, this is what the whole world is fighting about. And this is what is important for us as our individuals in our faith that we have in the God of Israel. And um, this is my, my, my Destiny. place. Yeah, this is, this is where I live. This is my home. And I feel very privileged that I am allowed to live here as well. It's remarkable that you want to. We're literally sitting in the center of the world right now. And yeah. it's just, it's such a, it's a beautiful thing that we're able to sit here and we're sitting here together. And yes. it's such a story how we met and I, I'm just, I'm honored to know you and meet you and just, yeah. I'm so impressed. Um, Thank you. So Marcella, you mentioned that you feel very connected to the Bible. Is there a specific story that you feel most connected to? Um, I do. I mean, the, the story of Ruth, I think, inspires me the most, especially when it comes to my own calling, if I could say it like that, with being here in Israel and, and, and living here in Jerusalem. Um, if I can just read a small portion from the book of Ruth, what Ruth said to Naomi when Naomi told her to to go back, you know, to her, um, to Moab, to her, to her own homeland, and, and she... And she spoke the following words, um, and she said, Don't press me to leave you and stop following you, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Adonai bring terrible curses on me, and worse ones as well, if anything but death separates you and me. And I think this kind of summarizes the feeling that I have with being here and, and living in this nation and having the privilege to live amongst the chosen people of God, amongst the Jewish people. I feel similar to Ruth also saying um, that wherever wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you stay, I will stay. And, and your God, your God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my God also. Wow, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Before we end off, I want to ask you, what is your Israel happy place? My Israel happy place, I think, would be the old city of Jerusalem, and then specifically the Kotel, the Western Wall. Um, that is a place that, as soon as I come back to Israel after a trip abroad, that's where I want to go right away. It's a wow. place where I go before I even leave Israel, just because it's 
it's home to me. I can't describe it. The last time I was in Holland was just in December last month. Uh -huh. And I was so homesick to be coming back to wow. Jerusalem. So this is really the place that makes me happy, that inspires me, that's, and that helps me to do what I do on a, on a daily basis. And that's to be uh, a voice to the nations and, and hopefully a light to Israel. It's amazing. And I hope that your being inspired by Israel inspires so many more Christians and Jews and uh, to come to Israel, to visit Israel, to live in Israel. Absolutely. And, that's what we want. And uh, yeah, so... Thank you for meeting me. And uh, Yoni, back to you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Marcella. Again, that's Marcella van de Bovenkamp. Her uh, incredible story is just such a such a nice thing to hear. You know, she's, she's not Jewish, so someone who has such a love for Judaism, the Jewish nation, and Israel, especially in light of all the anti-Israel propaganda being spread by the media or whoever it is, um, it's just really nice to hear that, that not everyone is against Israel or the Jewish people, and there's still plenty of love to be spread and plenty of people who support the land of Israel, the Jewish people, and the Jewish nation. Again, Tova Knecht, you could find her at tovanisrael.com, Tova in Israel on Facebook as well. Just like Marcella, Tova also spreads much love about the land of Israel and the Jewish people. So go ahead and check her out. More coming up on Bite Size. We're going to take it over to Mahapecha, Shel Simcha. I'm feeling it. You're feeling it. Let's get to it. Thank you. 
תמונות ילדות על הקיר, שיירות לבנות חוזרות מבית כנסת. והריח הזה, ששורט לי את הלב, מתגנב, מתגנב, ופותח דלתות, אל אושר קטן, אל אותו שיר ישן. שעובר אצלנו במשך דורות, מתנות קטנות, מי שהוא שלח לי מתנות קטנות, רסיסים של כוונה, עיגולים של אמונה, מתנות קטנות, מי שהוא שלח לי מתנות קטנות, כמו הכוח לקבל את מה ש...
And that was Shabachi Yerushalayim. You're tuned into Bite Size here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And we are now joined by pitcher Josh Zaid, a member of Team Israel, the baseball team headed to Korea to represent Israel in the World Baseball Classic in March. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Same here. As some of y'all are aware, so Josh and several of his teammates, they just came back from a trip to Israel, to the Holy Land. So, Josh, how long ago uh, were you actually told about this trip, and was there any hesitation on your end, either from you or for your family, uh, to go on this trip? Well, initially, myself and a few of the, uh, the generators of the trip had planned on this happening about five years ago. This has been, this has been something that's been in the works for a really long time, but since we had much more success with the World Baseball Classic Qualifier. We'll get into that in a little bit. But since we won our bracket and we're going on, moving on in the in the tournament, we were able to build some more fundraising. So we found out probably about the end of October, early November, that it was going to happen. And we had zero reservations about going. Um, we, we know the, the dangers in, in Israel or the, the concern with being in Israel, I guess, at this time. And, uh, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, we, we had to jump at the offer and – we're so happy that we did. So you landed in Israel. You spend about a week or so in in the Holy Land. What were some of your favorite places that you visited? Uh, Israel, in general, right. I would say, was you know an unbelievable experience. But I mean, we went to the Dead Sea. We went to you know old old city Jerusalem. We went to the mountain at Masada. Um, and then we saw the Room of the Last Supper. We saw the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I mean, we saw everything from Judaism to Christianity to to Arab. I mean, we they made sure that we saw Israel for everything that makes it so wonderful. But, I mean, I'd say my, my most favorite moments were the Red Sea, going to the, I mean, the Dead Sea, going to the Dead Sea and getting to swim in there and then climb Mount Masada. And uh, that was our favorite day overall. Yeah, I mean, I remember... I, you know, I spent a year and a half there, and so anytime we went to the Dead Sea for one of our trips, it's it's one of the more remarkable places really this world has to offer. But you mentioned the Dead Sea. Is there really any other memory or two uh, from the trip to the Holy Land that's going to stick with you forever? Well, getting to spend it with my family, oh, my wife, actually, you know, getting to do something so special. Um, I mean, it's a small thing, but, you know, we, we got to spend a lot of time in the markets, the Machne Yehuda in, in Jerusalem and the Arab market in Jerusalem, and and shopping and spending time with, you know, friends and teammates in and, and a foreign country, and in all reality, feeling safe and feeling welcome. And, and I mean, that's that's the reason we went. We wanted to show the world how great Israel is and, and that it's not somewhere to be afraid of. And, you know, and I think, I mean, I accomplished that. I feel like we did. We, we felt safe and comfortable and had so much fun there. I can't wait to go back. <laughs> you You know you're going to go back at some point? Oh, goodness, yes. My wife and I are already planning on, you know, the five-year, ten-year plan, you know, what's next and how are we going to get back and, and what what are we going to do when we go back, yeah. That's great. You mentioned Machina Yehuda. You mentioned some of the markets. Was there a favorite uh, food you ate? Uh, I know I saw a picture online of you trying the rugalach at Marzipan at, at the Machina Yehuda. Um, oh, yeah. Is that I've, one I've of your favorites? Rugel- I've eaten rugalach all over the United States. I'm not I'm not shy with my pastries. My, my mother made growing up um so i love it i mean i love that that's a food that i'm not afraid of uh, by any means um yeah i mean i had shakshuka which is an, obviously you know is an israeli breakfast which is delicious tomatoes and eggs those yeah. are like two of my favorite foods um 
I eat more more uh, more um, pickled salmon and and lox and uh, halava and more hummus and tahini sauce than I would have ever imagined <laughs> in my life in a week. So <laughs> they were never had a bad meal over there. So. I enjoyed my food eating experience over there greatly. Yeah, definitely one of the. Uh, it's a country with many great sites, but also the food there is absolutely excellent. Were you shocked at all by the support and the fanfare you received while you were in Israel? Uh, no, I mean, well, yes and no. I mean, I, I knew from the Israel Baseball Federation specifically that the people who played baseball in Israel loved it. Like, and that was you know, the motivation to go there was to sh- show those people and those kids who play that we're playing for them. Like that, you know, we're, we're the trendsetters for them, hopefully. Like that's the plan. Like we're doing this now. So in 10 or 15 years, the kids that are now five and 10 can do it for themselves. So they, they warned us beforehand that it was going to be, the outpouring was going to be unbelievable, but there's, I mean, there's nothing for actually seeing it for yourself and seeing kids, you know, with yarmulkes on and, you know, Mets jerseys or Yankees jerseys and, and cheering you on for just, just walking by, you know, and just asking for your autograph and taking selfies. And, and it, you know, it was really rewarding. It made the trip feel less. It wasn't like we were tourists anymore as we were there for a purpose and we were, we weren't just going for ourselves. We were going for, for them. And that's what made it so much more rewarding. Josh Zaid, member of Team Israel, joins us here on Bite Size. Now, going back to that that fanfare, when word spread that Israel would play in Brooklyn here in the United States, uh, you know, Brooklyn's really a hotbed in really the New York area for many Jewish baseball fans. So Team Israel baseball fans, we all made sure to buy up the tickets. What did it mean for you and your teammates to pretty much be the home team during that group play? It was unbelievable. I mean, there wasn't 10,000 people there, but... The, the, the fans that we had that came in droves are the reason we won. I mean, it, it's hands down. Like, you can play. Your team can be good. You can have good players. But when you have the support and the, you know, the antics going on in the stands, the cheering, the singing, you know, just starting from the national anthem, the the, the Israeli national anthem, and, and just everyone was so locked in and dialed in. You know, from, from the moment we stepped on the field, we wanted to win for the fans. And that was, I think that's, that's what helped propel us to win. And I don't know if we played in another location, if we would have had the success that we had. Now on the baseball side of things, this is your second appearance with team Israel. You played for them back in 2012 under then manager, Brad Ausmus. Uh, so how's the team different from then to now? And what'd you learn from your first experience that you could tell over to some of your current teammates now on this go around? What we made sure to tell the players this go-around was that it's not just a baseball game. There's a lot more emotions. There's a lot more national pride with with teams that, you know, like we're going to be playing the Korean national team in the first game, and everybody on that team is from Korea. So they are all very passionate for winning for their country. We might not be from Israel. We have deep ties to Israel because of who we are and where we come from. So we need to find a way to to harness that and use it to our advantage, just as the other countries will use it to their advantage. Um, so that for that part of that question, that's that's how I feel. We're c- communicating to our teammates 
for this go around. But the difference between 2016 and 2012 was 2012, we didn't have 10 major league baseball players on our team. We had 25 minor leaguers and Israelis on our team. And this go around, we still have the Israelis on our team, but now we have 10 players who have played in the major leagues and actually done pretty well in the major leagues. And experience really speaks volumes in tournaments like these because it's only three games or four games, and you got to be full steam ahead for three games. So to have that kind of experience really, really helps. Now you mentioned the roster. Um, it's it's currently strong, but, I mean, it could have been potentially stronger. If, was there any uh, time where you or some of your teammates tried to recruit fellow potential Team Israel members like, let's say, Ryan Braun, Alex Bregman, Scott Feldman, any of those players? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally didn't, but I know that there was some recruiting efforts going on. It's really challenging to ask anybody, really, to go all the way across the world during spring training while you're especially either you're become you know, you're in your rookie year, you're trying to do a lot of different things, or you're a seasoned veteran and you're trying to get ready for a hundred and eighty something day season, hundred and sixty two games, and just say, Hey, you know, can you come for twelve days to to, to to Korea with us? You know, we've got a huge tournament going on. But you know, I'm I'm very pleased with the team we have going to Israel. You know, in reality, what you want is you want 25 guys or 28 guys who want to be there. You don't want to you don't want five or six guys who, you know, will kind of regret going because you know it's not you know they just don't really want to be there. So you have 28 guys who want to be there. That's the group of guys you want to be with, and those are the guys who're going to play the hardest and give the best effort and and hopefully get us on in the next round. Yeah, you yourself actually dominated in the qualifier. You threw six and two-thirds innings of one-run ball. One of your appearances was a three-inning no-hit ball appearance. So obviously the competition is stronger. Going to Korea, you have the top, I think it's 16 teams left. Um, and, and your first game, as you mentioned, you play the host nation, Korea. So how will you and your teammates prepare for the better competition? Are you going to have a little kind of mini spring training beforehand? Yeah, so the, 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 the quality of the game will be much more challenging. The players will be a little bit better. Um, but in reality, if we each individually play our game, we're not going to be outmatched. We're not going to be overwhelmed. The only thing that we have to, 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 uh, to plan for is going to be the atmosphere. So you're playing against the home team in front of 22,000, 21,000 people. That's, I think that's how much the, the facility holds. And there's going to be a lot of national pride in the stands. And they're going to be cheering, screaming, and yelling. So the plan is to, to just withhold the initial onslaught. You know, if you can get through the first couple innings and quiet the crowd down, that's really what we have to do in the actual game. But before the tournament starts, we're going to meet in Arizona, I believe, uh, at the end of February for a couple of days, and then we're going to fly out to Korea about a week before the tournament starts, and we're going to play some Korean universities, um, just get some practice, get our legs underneath us, and then we'll be ready for the tournament, which starts on March 6th. Josh Zaid, member of Team Israel, joins us here on Bite Size. Now, something different than other countries in the World Baseball Classic is that when you play for Team Israel, it's not only that you're playing for a country, but it's almost like you're playing for a people, for the Jewish people. What does that mean yeah. for you as someone that, you know, you grew up with a bar mitzvah, you attended Hebrew school. So what does this whole experience mean to you? It's unbelievable. It kind of, you know, it's like it comes full circle. You know, you're, you grow up, you play sports in the JCC growing up. I, did, I mean, I did. I played 
I went to the summer camp. I played basketball at the JCC, and and I did a lot of things. Most of my friends growing up, we played in the little league together. We were all Jewish growing up, and then the older you get, you kind of start separating yourselves because most Jewish families, I guess, tell their kids, you know, sports is unrealistic. You're never going to be very tall. You're never going to be, you know, very strong. You know, you're just going to have to file into a different, you know, atmosphere, work work atmosphere. I don't know if that's the right term, but so to be on a team with 28, 25 different Jewish major leaguers and minor leaguers, it's it's incredible to see how much this game has grown and how much, you know, family life has changed to let kids kind of choose their own futures and choose their own path and and it makes me excited for the future for, for a lot of things. Yeah, I know you wear the Jewish star, the Magain David, um, yeah. with you on the baseball field. Is that something like your religion that's come up with your teammates, whether it's in Houston or playing in the, with the Phillies, Tigers, Mets organization? Is that something that your teammates have spoken to you about, whether negatively, positively, or most respectful? Like, how does it work in the clubhouse? Um, well, no one really brings up my necklace. I don't think that – I mean, everyone notices it. I mean, they, they, they definitely know it's different than – you know, across or they, 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 they ask about it, but they, it's never an issue. And I've never had an issue with my religion. I've, I actually, when I was 16, I played for team USA in a, in a different tournament, which I was very fortunate enough to be a part of as well. And there was a couple of kids on the team who'd never met a Jewish kid before. So they wanted to know all about a Jewish star and what, what being Jewish meant. And, and that was my first real parlay or whatever you want to, call it into a world where not everyone knew everybody because where I grew up there was religions there was every I mean everybody you knew everybody and and I think the older you get the more people know and the more people understand whether they they like to understand it or not is a different story but they still understand it and and know what the differences are and they're just kind of <laughs> yeah go with it well yeah, now, Josh, thank you very much for your time. But uh, I, I know you're a free agent now. Any hints to where you may be playing in the near future? Uh, yeah, I am a free agent. I'm not 100% sure. I've got a, a couple teams that we're talking to. But the older you get, the more you play, you know, you start running out of teams to play for. But in the short term, I'm, I might, my, my main focus is on Team Israel getting ready for the tournament in Korea and hopefully moving on to Japan and back to the United States the World Baseball Classic. So that's where my goal is. And then if something were to come before that or just after that, then that'll be icing on the cake. Josh Zaid, pitcher for Team Israel, one of the many players representing Team Israel in March's World Baseball Classic in Korea. Thank you very much, Josh. You're very welcome. More coming up on Bite Size. You're tuned in to the Nahum Siegel Network. Yes, 
A.K.A. Pella's Yesh Tikva. You're tuned into Bite Size here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And before we go, every week we partake in America's favorite segment, and maybe Israel's, and maybe everywhere that's tuned in here. Everyone's favorite segment, Four to the Door. This is how it works. Myself and Jamie Turkel, our assistant programming director and social media coordinator here at the Nachum Siegel Network, we decide on the week's theme based on either the, the season, maybe who's on the show, something that's interesting about the show that 
we think we could use for our segment. And this week, because I opened with football talk and then spoke with Josh Zaid, a member of Team Israel, the baseball Team Israel, we decided this week's four to the door will be our top four favorite sports to play. Now, it's not top four favorite sports to watch because sometimes you like to play a sport, but you don't care to watch it. And sometimes you like to watch a sport, but you don't care to play it. So this week's top four to the door is top four favorite sports to play. And as usual, I will read Jamie Turkel's list four to one. And then I will read my list four to one. Again, Yoni at NahumSiegel.com, Y-O-N-I at NahumSiegel.com. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions for Four to the Door, for Bite Size, for anything on the Nahum Siegel Network, or if you just want to talk to me, a little banter, I will try to answer you as long as work does not get into the way. So here we go with this week's Top Four to the Door, Top Four Favorite Sports to Play. Number four on Jamie Turkel's list is basketball. I could see Jamie Turkel hitting a J or two. Maybe a nice layup, free throws. All right, that's number four on Jamie's list. Number three on Jamie's list of top four to the door, top four favorite sports to play is Newcomb. Now, I didn't realize we were in fifth grade. Um, I remember playing that in elementary school, and uh, it was a good time then, but I don't know if I'd have as much fun playing it now. But maybe on a, you know, on a sandy beach... It'd be a little more fun, so maybe that's what she's thinking. Jamie? She's, like, rolling her eyes at me. Okay, fine. Number two on Jamie's list is dodgeball. Now, again, that kind of takes me back to elementary, middle school, and even high school camp days, but at least dodgeball's fun. I I like that, Jamie. Thinking outside the box there. Dodgeball at number two. And number one on Jamie Turkel's top four to the door, top four favorite sports to play, number one, soccer. Soccer, soccer, soccer. Actually a very underrated sport, I think, to play. Um, a lot of fun. It'll make my list. You know, people people think top four. You know, people just in general think favorite sports to play. It's usually, you know, the classic four. At least top four, like American sports. Um, soccer is a good choice. Fine choice, Jamie. So again, four to one on Jamie Turkel's top four to the door. Top four favorite sports to play. Number four was basketball. Three, Newcomb. Two, dodgeball. And number one, soccer. And here we go with Yoni Pollock, myself. Top four to the door. Top four favorite sports to play. Number four is soccer. Um, it's not something I actually often played early on growing up as a child, but it's something that sometimes during, let's say, PE, which was usually almost always exclusively basketball, There'd be the occasional breakout game of soccer or in camp as a counselor. I often, I was a sports counselor for a few years. We played soccer. It's a lot of fun. I don't consider myself maybe the most skilled soccer player. I'm a little bit bigger, but I do enjoy running regardless. And I think I have some decent footwork for a big guy. So soccer is certainly a lot of fun to play. Number three on my list basketball now it's it's kind of funny because basketball is by far the sport I've played the most in my life uh, whether it's high school basketball the team captain of my 12th grade Baron Stars in Houston Texas or the YU intramurals or just general playing at YU on a random Thursday night Sunday night whatever it is just played two nights ago literally um for me, I mean, I and I and I really do love playing basketball, but I I like playing the other two more. So it's not really a knock on basketball. I I really do enjoy love playing it. Um, but I have stronger passions 
for these other two sports. And actually, by the way, totally shameless self-promotion on my end. The uh, Houston, the Barron Stars down, they actually had their, their annual or semi-annual, whatever it is, alumni student playoff game. And, and they wanted me to play, but I couldn't fly in for it. And uh, back in my day when I was a student, it was actually the student faculty game. Our, our coach was a great college player. And uh, he certainly <laughs> scored most of the points for the faculty. But actually, in my 11th grade year, I knocked down the game-winning shot at the buzzer. So a uh, little shameless self-promotion. It was actually on tape, but the person videotaping at the time was totally not looking and totally missed the shot. So I have no proof of it. You're going to have to talk to my teammates if you want proof of that. So anyway, basketball number three on my top four of the door, top four favorite sports to play. And number two is baseball, softball. Um, I put them together because they're similar, even though different. Um, I just love, love a nice Sunday morning baseball, softball game. Really, anytime. If someone says, I, I promise you, like I'm not, I've always tried to get a league in like Central Park, Teaneck, wherever it is um, for the summer, but it just doesn't work out. And and people will text me Saturday night, like, yo, you down to play softball this morning, 8 a.m., Teaneck? I'll find my way there. Yeah, hell yeah, I want to play. Um, so... Baseball, softball, any position. I actually, in middle school, played catcher. I believe I led my team in triples one of my years with one. We actually had a uh, a field with no fence. So I kind of had just hit it far and only made it to third. So probably more a knock of my on my speed than anything else. But hey, you take the records when you can, right? Leading in triples. And number one on my top four to the door, top four favorite sports to play, number one is football. I remember uh, Shabbos afternoons growing up, we played a lot of football. Um, whether that's right or wrong is for a different conversation, but Shabbos afternoons, if, if it was baseball, basketball, football, we were playing it. Um, but a ton of football, flag football in Israel, one of the most fun times you're going to really have. And obviously your year in Israel is special for other reasons, but but the football team, you know, the camaraderie with your teammates and then just playing it a lot, a lot of fun. Was the captain of my Shana Bet team, an all-star tight end. People dubbed me the scamper. I used to catch the ball and scamper all the way to the end zone. And by people, I mean totally me. That was just me. I dubbed myself the scamper. And it uh, somewhat stuck, I guess. Maybe more for the joking than anything else. But uh, but yeah, football is my number one favorite sports blitz. So again, top four to the door, top four favorite sports to play for me. Number four was basketball. Excuse me, number four was soccer. Number three was basketball. Two, baseball, softball. And number one was football. So again, yoniandachlamseal.com. Or leave a comment on the app if you want to talk about this week's four to the door or have any comments, questions, suggestions regarding four to the door or bite size. And I'd like to thank you all for spending the last two hours here with me on the Nachlam Seal Network. A reminder... As Jamie Turkel would want me to point out, you could follow us all over social media on Facebook at Nachum Siegel Network, on Twitter at Nachum Siegel Net, and on Instagram, Nachum Siegel Network. If you haven't yet downloaded the NSN app, what are you waiting for? Google Play Store, Apple Store, go find it, download it, and you could listen to us live, check out our archives, use the alarm app, whatever it is. The app is great, and I strongly encourage all of y'all to download it. And again, thank you all for tuning in. My name is Yoni Pollock. I'd like to wish you all a good day and remind you that the bite size is the right size. <laughs>